Welcome to the Ad Nauseam Podcast, where classical gourmands everywhere can finally get their fill. Join us for a delectable discussion of Greco-Roman civilization stretching from the Minoans and Mycenaeans through the Renaissance and right down to the present. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here are your hosts, Dr. David Noe and Dr. Jeff Winkle. Welcome, Ad Nauseam listeners, to episode 43 of the podcast. My name is David Noe. As always, I'm here in the vomitorium with my um, good friend, Dr. Jeff Winkle. Uh, a hesitation and a, a question. It there. was deliberate. It was deliberate? Absolutely. It's called Up Talk. Up Talk. I've heard, I've heard that a lot out there. Yeah. But is you it called Up Talk? At two, David. Well, I still consider you a good friend. I appreciate that. Yeah, but I, I'm doing well, by the way. Oh, good. Do- How are you doing? I'm doing I'm doing great. Uh, it's been a little stormy here. Yes. Outside the vomitorium. A deluge of rain. Yes, nonstop for the last few days. Well, it was bound to happen monsooner or later. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Right now, it's got that weird green stillness going on. It feels tornado weed. Yeah, the sky is lowering at us. It Lowering? I think that's how you pronounce Glowering? it. Glowering? No, no, lowering. Lowering? Look it up. Okay, I'll look it up. L-O-W-E-R-I-N-G. Well, it sounds it sounds like what I feel out there. There you go. Yeah. But I, I'm doing well. You're doing good, yes. I, I assume. Uh, what are we talking about tonight? Tonight, we are going to uh, redirect the audience's attention. We are? Away from the fabulous episode we wanted to do with our advisor, Dr. Ken Bratt, a friend, right. colleague. He was going to talk about the archaeology of Philippi. And Paul's presence there, but he came down with uh, a cold. A cold, and couldn't uh, and couldn't speak above a whisper. That's correct. He right. wasn't sure he was going to sound good on air, so he asked if he could uh, take a rain check. We said, of course, Ken, absolutely. And so tonight, instead, we're going to talk about, well, we will get back to Ken at some point. We will. He's scheduled <laughs> in the weeks ahead. Yes. But tonight, we're going to talk about... The ten things we hated about graduate school. That's right. It's now we're not going to be. It's not going to be just an hour of complaining and moaning. That's right? my plan. That's your plan. Nobody wants to hear that, right? You sure? It is. But we will, we're going to be talking about yeah some of the discomforts, the disquiets, and some of the weird stuff that happened to us during grad school. Yes, I think the genesis of this episode was our sense that people think that uh, graduate school is all glamour and glitz. You know, it's stepping out of sports cars, walking down the red carpet, <laughs> yes. you know, scooping up parfaits and um, parfaits. Parfaits. <laughs> Off the ground? <laughs> Off a tray. Off a tray. Okay. Okay. The, the parfaits are delivered on a tray. <laughs> yeah. They hand them to you and you deliver your paper and, and then you, you know, you... You live the easy life. That's pretty much, I think, that's most people's picture of what graduate school right. is. That's right. That's the picture I had in my mind right. before we attended. Oh, but well, it was a rude awakening. Yes. My goodness. Quite. Yes. But uh, we'll get to that in due time. Yeah. Jeff, you have our shout out this evening. Yes. Our shout out goes out, out to Ryan Heckman, who was, a stu- we both had him as a student, I believe. Correct. Yes. And enthusiastic, deeply interested young man. I've never had a, a student quite like him. He always sat in the front row for me. And was always engaged. Loved to come by the office and talk about the material. Not not yeah. just um, engaged, but he also had his own interesting story. He was in the U.S. Air Force. Oh, right, Traveled right, right. the world. He was in Okinawa. He was stationed in Germany. He was in Turkey once. This guy, I mean, he should be running his own podcast, frankly. It's true. Yeah, he's seen it all. He was born and raised in Jackson, Michigan. I believe he's back there now uh, working. And uh, he was actually baptized in Cyprus, wow. uh, where Aphrodite, the goddess herself, was was born, according to Greek myth. 
uh, where Lazarus had his second death and is buried. Um, according he, to tradition. According to tradition, right. Yep. Um, but yet spent uh, nine and a half years in the Air Force, traveled throughout the world, Europe, Japan. And right now he's currently working as a behavior technician with autistic youth. Mm. So thank you, Ryan, for listening. And thank you for being such an engaged student for both of us. Yes, uh, we're really grateful to have uh, a fellow like yourself as part of our audience. Indeed. Thank you. All right, Dave, you have our opening quote to this evening, uh, correct? That's right. And it's a bit of an unconventional quote, but one that uh, more or less shows how in hundreds of years, really nothing has changed when it comes to uh, academia, right? That's right. I'm, I'm going to read a little bit of a description uh, from a work we've never read. <laughs> the, the work is entitled, uh, quite appropriately, Pedantius. Ah, uh, yes. So what is a pedant, Jeff? Someone who's really annoying. Annoyingly erudite. Yes. And nitpicky. Encyclopedic in their knowledge. Yes. Don't right. bore but, you with the facts. But to, uh, to, to a degree that it's a complete uh, turnoff. Right. Yeah. Ask them a simple question, mm. and you cannot get from them a simple answer. So what do you think the weather is like today? Well, it's interesting that you would say weather, because actually the word weather originated in the 1950s, and you know they go on and on. Yes, that's, like a, that. that's a pedant. That's a pedant. Yeah. So there was a Latin comedy. This comedy was performed at Cambridge in the 1580s, and it was entitled Pedantius. It was uh, performed at Trinity College, Cambridge, in the 1580s. It was then written down in the 1630s. And um, it appeared in print for the first time in 1631. And uh, I want to read just a little bit of the summary of it because perhaps our um, audience will find it interesting. So this is from the edition by G.C. Moore Smith. And this was itself published in 1905, which I mean is more than a century ago already. So here's a little bit of the uh, introduction. When in the winter of 1581, Forsett or Wingfield or a group of Trinity men took in hand to produce a comedy for Kendall Moss, which is one of the you know, the academic uh, seasons or semesters there at Cambridge. What process did they adopt? Did they invent their play, their plot and all? Or did they lay their hands on some German or Italian comedy and transform it to their purposes? No earlier play has yet been found which bears much resemblance to the Trinity comedy as produced. The character of the pedant, derived ultimately from the Bacchides of Plautus, is common to a vast number of comedies. Italian and German and the main traits of this character are seen alike in the scholastic philosopher, dramatist, and the humanist, Pedantius. Now, as we headed off to grad school, Jeff, uh-huh. in the early 90s, you were 1993? 93. Yeah. I was uh, 95. Yep. So um, what kind of expectations, pedantic expectations, did you have? I like to think I went into it with my eyes fairly wide open, but I didn't really know what to expect. I was expecting... To be for it to be very challenging, but I did have a, a kind of a, a rosy view of it as well. I had I did have kind of this idealized view of of I'd be really set free to study something that I was interested in in a in a very kind of focused individual manner, and I would be encouraged and and nurtured along the way. Um, Handed parfaits, parfaits I thought would come later. Maybe I'd wait a couple of years for the parfaits, but. Um, it didn't turn out like that. Not like that. No. How about you? I mean, what was your, what, what, when you went off in 95, what were you expecting? Well, I want to uh, build a little bit of audience suspense on that. Okay. I'm going to play, play unfair here and go back to Pedantius for just a second. Please do. Okay. Our comedy in the persons of Pedantius and Dramatitus satirizes two distinct academic types, the Ciceronian humanist who had taken the place of the medieval grammarian and the philosopher of the school. The author goes on and says to the humanists, two courses were open to insist on a restoration of the true logic of Aristotle and a rejection of the misconstructions and additions made by uh, Peter the Spaniard, Petrus Hispanus and his countless commentators, 
or to denounce the whole study of logic as worthless and pernicious and demand that its place be filled by rhetoric. Hmm. So there's this anecdote about how men tumble into theology, right? So a lot of this preparation at the time, this pedantic preparation was preparation for divine studies, theology. Right. Mm-hmm. So here's the little, the little limerick or so. It goes, uh, they were superciliously caught, a little rag of rhetoric, a less lump of logic, a piece or patch of philosophy. Hmm. So making fun of these guys who are just throwing together a little bit of learning here and there. Yes. So if it's okay if I just read a little bit of the argument here, just the first sentence in Latin, give a brief translation. Sounds good. And that'll set up, I think, some of the themes we're going to talk about uh, through the rest of the episode. All right. So here's the argumentum. Lidiam urgenem corundae senis anchila mamabat cremuli olim servus crabulus, quam e andem sibi petiit pedagogos pedantius. So what do we got there? So it means something like this. The young woman Lydia, uh, whom the servant Crobulus, once upon a time, uh, was loving, right? She, he was uh, loving her. She was the handmaiden uh, of the old woman Caronda. So this woman Lydia, sounds like a plot time comedy, mm-hmm. right? The uh, school teacher, the pedagogus, Pedantius, he was seeking this same woman as um, a love interest for himself. Ah, yes. So the setup of the play, based on Plautus and Terence, you know, things we've talked about with Fontaine and, and such, yeah. uh, is that this pedant, right, has got to find his way through the uh, tricks and traps of being a school teacher with too much grammatical knowledge right. to find true love. Ah, yes. I'm going to guess it doesn't go so well for him. <laughs> no, it's. Uh, I haven't read the whole thing. I'm not sure that um, an English translation of the whole exists. The Latin is really good. There's, there's your next book there. You think so? Professor Noe, absolutely. <laughs> I, and I'm not, I'm not joking. Yeah. And if we have a screenplay, could you play Pedantius? Could I play? I think I'm a little too, I'm a little too old. Now, Long in the tooth, long as the tooth, they say. Yes, we could find some 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 young buck to, to play that role. It sounds good. Do we have any idea? Of, was this a smash hit? It was very popular. Was it really? It was performed in front of King James. Is that right? Yeah, James I. Did he give it two enthusiastic thumbs up? <laughs> I don't know what um, <laughs> royal bloodlines were like at the time. He may have had more than two thumbs. <laughs> However many he had, they all went up. King James, three thumbs up. That's I like right. it. I like it. I like it. Yeah. So, you know, the pedant, mm-hmm. the guy who has way too much grammatical knowledge, too much time on his hands, this is an old, old, old theme. Yes. And uh, I think it might be a useful touchstone as we launch into 10 things that we hated about grad school. I agree. I agree. Let's so go. let's get started, Jeff. Yeah. We'll, yeah. we'll start out with you. You know, you, you asked me what my expectations were as I headed off yeah. in 1995, but let, let's... Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that later. That's right. Let's go okay. through Winkle first. Sure. What, are the, what are the top 10 things that you hated? Right. Well, are, are we going to get to 10? Are we going to go... Let's have your five, okay, and then I'll add my fifteen. All right, all right. So, but uh, no, no guarantees about kind of how many we'll 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 get to. That's right. right. Okay. So I went off to grad school. I went to Northwestern University hmm. in Evanston, Illinois, Chicago land. Chicago land. Yeah, right? set, set the scene for us. Yes. So uh, I loaded all my stuff on, on the back of a pickup truck. Uh huh. Had to strap it down with bungee cords. Now is this pulled by mules? <laughs> I remember my my father drove me. He drove the pickup truck, and I was following behind in my 1988 Nissan Sentra. Were there any family members sitting in rocking chairs somewhere? Uh, it was, it, you know, it was very, it was very hillbillies. It's like the Clampets. Yes. But I remember driving down around the bend towards Gary, and some gust of wind taking a huge, um, uh, like rug or set of sheets just went flying 
and mm. it was it was a uh, it was a, it was just a loss. We I had to buy a new set of sheets once I got shot. Oh, something like that happened to Odysseus. <laughs> oh, did he lost his sheets? Yeah, it was book twenty five of the Odyssey. Oh, twenty five. That's yeah. right. It's the one we didn't cover. How did you choose Northwestern? What's what's the story behind that? Again, there was no kind of kind of romantic ideals. Like I had always dreamed of studying classics at Northwestern. It really came down to they gave me the best offer. Um, so I had been accepted by a few, a, a few other schools. Would- um, would you say they gave you an offer you could not refuse? I, I, yes, and I'm I'm, gonna, I'm really trying hard to resist doing my Brando. Yeah, so right am I. <laughs> Give me an offer. No, nah, what's terrible? Um, no, uh, I got I got accepted by a few schools. One offered a teaching assistantship and or you know in-state tuition, but Northwestern offered me the full package. So no tuition, teaching assistantship for for um, for five years or something. That's a Big Ten school. It's a Big Ten school, right? It's a great football team. <laughs> I'm sure it drew it, you there. It was in, in 95, I believe, they went to the Rose Bowl. Yes. Uh, but in fact, Ken Bratt, one of his family members, played on that team. How come I never knew this? I don't know. You uh, were probably studying classics. Probably. You should have been paying attention right. to football. But I didn't choose, I didn't go to Northwestern because I thought, you know, a lighthouse in the fog for the study of classics. They gave me a, an offer I, I really couldn't refuse. Right. Yeah. So I went there, but, you know, I always thought, you know, Northwestern, very good school. It has, you know, a high academic re- reputation, if not necessarily for the graduate study of classics, but a very, very good school with a very good academic reputation. So, Do you remember your first class in grad school? I do. And that's actually my first story. All right, um, let's hear yeah. it. So one of the things I, I, I hated, and I should say, I want to you know, temper this a little bit. All these things, all the stories that I tell, uh, all have kind of their positive side to These were all catabases that I had to go through, mm-hmm. come out the other side. So they, they were things that caused a lot of pain at the time. We could ask Mishka to put a drum roll before each of these. Oh, I, I like that. I okay. Like that. <laughs> so the I came in as a cohort of one. Oh. I was the only graduate student admitted that that, that year. And there's just a handful of other graduate students ahead of me. So it was a very small group of, of graduate students, all of us eccentric in our own kind of ways. But it quickly dawned on me that the the temperature of the room or, or the, the kind of the ethos of the department was sink or swim. Mm. We're going to see what you got. And if you don't got it, we'd rather see you go. Right. So I definitely got the sense there that he said, we'll take graduate students, but we'd really rather not have them. So you were at the top of your cohort, though, right? I, I was at the very top, <laughs> right? And at the bottom, as it turned out, right? So the very first class I took was a, a Homer survey. We read uh-huh. the, the Iliad. And the very first assignment, this was given on Monday and had to be completed by Friday, was to memorize in Greek the first 150 lines of the Iliad. And then go in and perform them for the professor of the class, who was Professor Dan Garrison, ah. who was, and I'm not kidding at all, this is almost no exaggeration here, the spitting image of Poseidon. Huh. Kind of the piercing he blue didn't eyes. didn't wear a shirt to class? <laughs> <laughs> he was always shirtless. It was Heroic a, torso? <laughs> it was so unsettling. Is right. this the Dan Garrison of the Catullus volume? Yes, yes. Ah. I mean, he's, he's put out some really wonderful work. The Students Catullus, his book on Horace is, mm. is great. Um, but a very intimidating man, hmm. um, especially first time you meet him, first class you have with him. It was clear to me uh, that this was an assignment, basically, you know, either you can do this or maybe you should consider doing something right. else. Poseidon wanted you to sink. Yes, he did. Yeah. And uh, I mean, this was such a, a well-known thing that, that you know, Garrison looked at Poseidon that it became a, a ritual for students if they passed his class they would give him some sort of trident. <laughs> and so he had them all over his office. Um, these kind of inflatable kind of, you know, like devil's pitchforks. Incredible. So, so he knew it and he played it up. And so now in undergrad, uh, I had done some hexameters. I, I, you know, I can't for the life of me remember who I read Homer with at, at Calvin College. It's probably George Harris. I think it was George Harris, but he actually did uh, very little with kind of reading aloud. 
Yes. And so well, he liked to read aloud himself. Yes, he did. He liked to and had a fantastic <laughs> booming voice. He did. Yes. Uh, a Northwestern PhD himself. So I had done some reading of hexameters, but I was not, you know, all that skilled in it. And so I remember that whole week walking the halls, uh, Kresge Hall at Northwestern, trying my best to learn uh, these 150 lines mm. in the Greek. And then when it t- to perform, I thought I had it down. And so you go in there and you know, he's sitting there, Poseidon, you know, surrounded by his mermaids and mermen. And he start, start performing the Greek. And he would stop me in the middle of a line and say, that word you just said, you know, what's the gender number in case? What's it doing there? Mm. And I, I had no idea that that was going to happen. Did you have to do push-ups if you got it wrong? <laughs> no, I, I sweat. Uh, I probably lost 10 pounds just sweating right. sitting there. And then after you answered that question, you were expected to pick it up in the middle of the line and care for it. was a nightmare. It mm. was an absolute nightmare. Mm. And so he was not happy at the end of my 150-line performance. But you survived? I survived, but I had to go and do it again. You went on to pass the class, I did, though, I, right? I did. But I had to go do that again wow. the next week. It was brutal. It and, was and you re- brutal. And you remained at the top of your cohort throughout. Uh, throughout, okay. exactly. So right. let's go on to number two. Number two. Another thing that that drove me crazy was not all the professors, but none of the professors kind of thought grad students are there not just to learn, but to do chores for them. You know, pick up my dry cleaning. Laundry? La- well, you know, just shy of that. I remember... Unclog my toilet, things we, like that. There was one um, kind of department dinner that we were going to have together, and one of the graduate students, not me, my buddy John, was tasked with buying, picking up all the groceries uh, for the for the dinner, had to, mm. had to deliver it. And, and so I, that kind of stuff just, that irked me. So you hitched up the mules. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Hauled the pickup Hauled down it. to, yep. was there a Whole Foods in the early 90s? Dominic's is what it was. Right. Dominic's was the food chain uh, in uh, Evanston in Chicago. And they give you their credit card or something? Something like that. Put it on the department like tab, that. Or right? they just let you pay for it themselves. You know, what, what are we paying you, the, the, the TA, <laughs> the, uh, the apprenticeship for? So there was one time, there were, we, uh, their department was hosting a conference, and there were a bunch of people flying in from all over. Right. Pietro Pucci was coming in. Oh, Pietro Pucci. Do you, have you heard of Pietro? No. A noted uh, Lacanian scholar. Oh. So it doesn't even know if anybody talks about Lacan anymore. But he was a, a was big... a French theorist, right? Exactly. One of those postmodern, you know, yeah. Derrida okay. uh, guys. He was coming into O'Hare, and somebody needed to pick him up. So Bob You Wall, seem like a good candidate. Oh, Jeff, you're standing here. <laughs> so Bob Wallace says, go pick him up. You know, make a sign that says Poochie uh-huh. on it. <laughs> you stand there waiting <laughs> for a draw plane. a little dog or something? <laughs> <laughs> so the conference was at Loyola, which is on the lakeshore. Of it, course. It, it picture your map. Right? Yeah, I got it. And it drive to O'Hare, which is a nightmare any time of the day, any any day of the week. And this right? is uh, 26 years ago? This is, 19, 20... this is, this is got to be 95, 96. Yeah, yep. 26 years ago. I'm sensing a little bitterness. Oh, it was. I mean, this, this was also pre-cell phone, right? right. Cell phones would have cleared all of this up. So oh, it made it so easy. I drive out there. Because there's Uber. Exactly. You could just send him the link. He can Uber his way to Loyola. Right, exactly. Poochie can take care of himself. Right. right? Let Poochie take care That's of himself. Right. That's my catchphrase. <laughs> so I'm already dreading the ride back with Poochie. What am I going to talk about with this guy? It's Do you gonna, speak Italian? Uh, uh, you know, pigeon Italian. Right. And I know nothing about Lacan. Right. Well, that right? was your chance to learn. <laughs> so I'm in a, it's, I'm just, you know, the brutal, awkward conversation that's going to follow. I'm, just, I'm draining it all the way out there. So I finally muscle my way throughout the Chicago traffic to O'Hare. Right. I find the gate. Yes. And I'm standing with my stupid your sign, Poochie. Poochie sign. I was, I was thrilled because I was on time. Right. And the people are coming off the plane. Everybody comes off. No Poochie. No Poochie. There's no push. I'm standing there. What am I supposed to do? Right. So if I go to a payphone, who am I going to call? Nobody right. has a phone. 
So I could have called one of your grad school professors and say, Pucci did not deplane. The the Pucci has not landed. Where's the Pucci? (laughs) So I threw the, I threw the Pucci sign in my back seat and I drove all the way back to Loyola. Let me guess he met you there. He's sitting in the front row. (laughs) Right. And Bob Wallace says, who is my department the guy who assigned me the task, he right. says, oh yeah, uh, Pietro found his own way here. He, walked, he must have walked right past me. He got, a, he got his own car. And So he's Eurystheus, right? Wallace is Eurystheus. You're Hercules. Exactly. Go out to O'Hare and collect Pucci. But there was no, no, there's no apology. There was no, oh man, sorry you had to do that. Wow. You're right? a grad student. Well, and then in front of my, the fellow grad students, he goes, well, you know, I think he said, he said, well, kudos to you. Jeff, so, which earned me the nickname Polykudos from the other uh, grad schools. And they said that oh. sneeringly to me, oh, Polykudos has entered the room. Really? Oh, it's awful. Wow. But I can yeah. tell by the tone of your voice, these are all happy, distant memories. Now, there's no bitterness left. No, no. No, there's a little no bitterness. No brackish tang is, in the there, back of your it's mouth. It's very brackish. I don't know okay. what you're hearing over there. Well, let's move on to number three. Number three. All right. I also had a professor, uh, Jim Packer, who was a great archaeologist, uh, famous for his work on the form of Trajan in Rome. But he was also a man, wasn't all that crazy about lecturing himself. He'd mm-hmm. rather be doing his digging and, and his, right. his research, right? So I was a TA along with my, my buddy, John. We were his TAs for this massive uh, lecture survey on Roman history, 120 students in the class. That is massive. And he said to us, he goes, Yo, you guys are going to be te- teachers someday. Here, you, I'll give you this lecture. You handle this lecture, mm-hmm. right? And so I had never done this before. I had never lectured, mm-hmm. a little in front of 120 students. You had memorized 150 lines of Homer. I had, exactly, and completely forgot it all okay. within a week. And so he assigned me the lecture on Hadrian. And so I was you know, sweated at home on my computer and in the library. I'm, this is going to be this great. no Wikipedia. No Wikipedia, right? No YouTube reconstructions of Hadrian's art. No, this is right before kind of the explosion of the internet, right? Yeah. So this is old school. So I thought, okay, I can do this. I can do this. You know, how hard could this be? Calvin College prepped you well. I think, right. So I put it all together, and it was one of these classes I met twice a week. So it was an hour and a half class. You're expected to fill that hour and a half. Mm. He did straight lecture, no discussion, nothing. Um, and so I got up there. And long story short, about seven and a half minutes in, I'd pretty much done everything. I just said everything I was going to say about Adrian. <laughs> I mean, I give myself space for like, oh, I can riff on this. There was no riffing. No riff. You said it's a 70 minute class? It was a 90 minute 90. class. 90 minute class. So you it got to minute seven and <laughs> right. 83 more minutes. What am I going to do? Yeah. And Packer's sitting in the front row with his arms crossed, just looking at me. He's there. He's, of course he's there. I didn't know there. he was there. Oh, he was there. He was there to critique. Evaluate. Yes. And my buddy John is sitting right next to him and John's just grinning at me. At Polykudos. Right. And so I think I remember mentioning something about, you know, Hadrian was famous for wearing the, the beard, right? He was mm-hmm. he wanted to look like a Philhellen. A, a Philhellen, right? A, a philosopher. And so I remember I got to seven and a half minutes and I just looked up and I could just feel the, you know, the sweat trickling right. down my back. And I just said, that's all I got. And <laughs> Did you play charades or something? Oh, right? Here's another arch. What happened was my friend John <laughs> raised his hand and he said, tell me more about the beard. <laughs> right. He wanted me to riff on the beard. Right. And I, I said something stupid and I said, well, that, that's all I got. And it the, was lustrous. The, the immense sigh of, of relief from mm. the crowd to say, Wow. We get to get out of here 83 minutes early. Right. The, the students couldn't leave fast enough. Right. And Packer came up to me afterwards. I thought he was just going to tear me a new one. Right. But he says, he goes, it's a little brief. A little brief, Jeff. You know, oh, oh, it was awful. What an awful moment. But, I mean, it was one of those things that, too, that I learned that, you know, when I have to do this again, I got to go about it a completely different way. Yeah, you got to be a lot deeper in your prep, A lot I deeper, guess. yes. Uh, so Longer pauses. Longer <laughs> Pregnant glances. Is there such a thing as a pregnant glance? Oh, there were a lot that day. Okay. Yes. Yeah. 
It's funny, though. I'm not surprised, if I may digress on your anecdote for a moment. Please. I'm not surprised that the students loved it because students always love it when class is canceled. Right. It's one of the few products people are happy to pay for and then not receive. <laughs> not receive. Right. Exactly. Please don't teach us. <laughs> Can we go already? Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? It's that's... shocking. Yes. That's, right. that's the world I'm you know, leaving behind. So yeah. let's go on to number four. Number four. I had an advisor uh, who I will not name, a very mercurial, very unpredictable. And I, I think that's one of the things I really didn't like about uh, graduate school for, from my experience was you never knew what was going to happen one day to the next. Too many big personalities. Yes, you know, and our discipline, I think our corner of the humanities attracts There's no doubt about the eccentrics, it. right? There's no doubt about it. Right, yeah. These are people who, God bless them, you know, could uh, do very well in that play from, you know, the early 17th century, <laughs> Pedantius. Right. These are people, I mean, like ourselves, I'm sure I'm describing ourselves, who are obsessed about certain very small corners yes. of human knowledge, and they're not always so good about gauging the rest of their environment. Yeah, no, it's, it's totally true. And I certainly don't hold myself up as a paradigm of, you know, being comfortable in uh, in social circles. I mean, I miss a lot of cues myself. I, I mean, I carry with that, you know, with the discipline, I, I bring that my own eccentricity, sure. right? But some things were just so bizarre. Yeah. And so one of these- so tell was, us about this one. This advisor, I was turning in um, a dissertation proposal. Okay. Right? So kind of the first stages of, of the last stage. And so I had written up this detailed outline of what I wanted to do for my dissertation on Apuleius. Mm, right. And I brought it into my advisor. We sat down in his office and we, we, uh, we read through it together um, for about an hour. Mm. And he was saying, this looks good. This looks very doable. You're doing something new here. There's some new ground. I like this. Let's let's run with it. So I walked to there feeling great. Right. I said, wow, my gosh, that was that was seamless. Not at all like driving back from O'Hare. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. And so that very the very next morning, at literally three o'clock in the morning, mm. the phone, which was like on the, the nightstand right next to my head. And it's probably a rotary or something. It was not, it was, it was touchstone. Touchstone. It was okay. touchstone, right. But that thing buzzes to life at right. 3 a.m. and it's my advisor. <gasps> and so I'm coming out of this dead sleep. Right. And he's just saying, Jeffrey, this will not do. This will not do. What were you thinking? And he's going through like points. Who is this? Yeah, exactly. He's going through points in, in my proposal and just saying, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? And I, I was so out of it. And he finally says, I need you in my office at seven o'clock. We need to talk about this. Huh. This is the same guy who just said, oh, this is great. Right. Right. So I went in there four so, hours later. This is like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde it, thing? Yes. Yes. So in the early afternoon or the previous day, he was all sweetness and light. Yes. And then. But don't talk about Apuleius at 3 a.m. No. Because then it's shadows and. It's Mr. Hyde. Here, right. here he comes. So I went in there at seven o'clock the next 7 morning. 7 a.m. And he was ready, guns blazing. And just tore the whole thing up and said, you got to do this over. Hmm. And I walked out of there just like, what What happened? How long was your proposal? It, I mean, the outline was probably a 20-page outline. And it had a bibliography, but, yes, right? Yes, exactly. It was all annotated. Five, six pages. Yes. and It's a significant amount of work. It was a lot of work. A lot of work. In, in the span of 24 hours, it was accepted and rejected. And so that kind of stuff just, it drove me insane. Because, hmm. you know, what do you, it was some kind of psychological torture. Right. right? So bizarre. Huh. And then, and then number five. Number five. Uh, I mean, this goes along with just kind of the unpredictability, just kind of the weirdness of the place. And another professor, again, who I will not name, he also taught a seminar that I, that I took. He showed up for the first class. And then the next class meeting, there was just a note for him saying, just read it and learn it yourself, and I'll give you the final exam. <laughs> 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 right. He's really devoted to the art of lecturing and pedagogy. Right. So he disappeared. But there was a, 
a very strange thing that happened. I don't know the full details, but apparently he became very paranoid that somebody was breaking into his office at night and stealing his research hmm. on Plato. Hmm. Um, well, you know how valuable that is. I know exactly. People are beating down the door. Lock and key. It reminds me, I have Plato books in my office. What? I better go lock You better, you better lock those things up. Right. So he got so paranoid. He was convinced that he would come to his office next morning and things were rearranged. Yeah. And somebody's stealing. Middle dialogues would be swapped for early dialogues and early for late. Exactly. Right. Telltale signs. The consequences could be extensive. <laughs> That's right. Strange doings. So um, apparently he got so paranoid that he brought his Doberman pincher and set up a little bed inside the office so that whoever's going to break into the office would meet, I don't know, what is uh, his uh, Zeus or Apollo waiting there for him. Right. right a one-headed Cerberus. Exactly. And now what happened next? Oh, oh you're saying that was the name of the dog? Yeah, y- yes. Zeus or Apollo. He had named the dog after one of the Greek gods. Well, that is was, that what you're saying? Well, no, that, that's a Magnum P.I. reference. Do you remember um, oh, yeah. Higgins had Zeus and Apollo? Those I didn't remember that those were the names yeah. of the dogs. Yeah. I like the theme song. Oh, good. Yes. Uh, Mike Post. Or, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. He's the composer? Yeah. Very how, catchy. How do you know these things? <laughs> So anyway, and this is the this is where the details get fuzzy. Apparently, he came back the next morning, one of these mornings where the dog was sleeping in there, and he opened the door, and his dog was dead. Hmm. I have a theory. You have a theory? Yeah. Whoever was after the Play-Doh yes. snuck in, poisoned the dog, and then just lacked the strength to carry through on removing the, the platonic corpus. I think there was a theory, actually, not that far. It was probably this professor's own personal theory. <laughs> but somehow this dog died. And he was convinced that it was retaliation or you know, a burglary gone wrong. It was bizarre. That's a good way for a dog to die, though, guarding Plato. It's a noble way to go. It is a noble That's way what, to go. So, I'd be happy to go that way. So I, my sense is that he... you got to get through me to get to these you know, platonic dialogues. The dog, the dog swallowed an eraser and choked to death. That's all that <laughs> happened, right? That's Seriously, that, there was no intrigue at all. Huh. But that was just like... That in some ways... I mean, that's an extreme, that's an extreme example, but that... That kind of gives you a sense of kind of the, the weirdness and the, the color of the unpredictability of that department. Hmm. You never knew what you were going to get walking in, walking in uh, every morning. It meant it was never dull, but it was very stressful. Hmm. Those are absolutely brilliant stories, Jeff. Did you make it through grad school? I did. It took me a long time. Okay. Um, it, most of these guys in the department really just wanted to do the research. They didn't want to teach. Yeah. And I think a lot of professors at, at R1 schools are kind of like that. Well, but. I don't think it's restricted to R1 schools, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. But um, I'm sure it is probably more more prominent there because they have more funds to spend on research. Exactly. It's natural. Exactly. But what, so what that meant was that they were happy to throw courses to the grad students. Oh, you want to teach that? Go ahead and do it. And I ended up, of course, loving teaching. And so... Um, I taught as many classes that they, as they would give me. And of course, that just slowed down my own progress. Sure. So, so, um, but it's a kind of performance. Yeah. Teaching is. It's, uh, it, it's, yeah. it's very pleasurable. It is. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, we're going to get on to the second part of the episode after the break. Today's episode is brought to you by Ad Astra Coffee Roasters, the coffee that takes you to the stars, Ad Astra, but you can do an end run around all that harsh stuff. Yeah, great stuff. Comes to us from Hillsdale, Michigan. We've both been, had the privilege of trying a lot of their different roasts. Tenebris is my favorite. Yep, there's Las Lajas. Lajas of the Huehuetenango. There you go. Oh, I got to say it the this The poetry week. series. Yep. 
Um, great stuff. Um, I have seriously uh, had, I have not had better coffee in my uh, life. It's, it's phenomenal. It is. And uh, Patrick Whalen and his crew down there, they've been roasting beans for years. They have a special process. They only accept beans that score 80% or higher on the, the Richter scale. The Richter scale, is that what it is? No, I don't it's, know. That has to do with seismic activity, I think. It does. Um, some kind of, some, kind of uh, some bean scale. I think so. Right. But they only accept the best. The best. That's the point we're trying to make. That's right. All right. Yep. And if you go to Ad Astra Roasters, A-D-A-S-T-R-A, roasters.com, you too can check out some of their delicious high-quality offerings. Jeff, they got a special coupon code, don't they? They do. So if you enter A-N-A-A in the box that asks for the code on their website, uh, you can get 10% off anything you order, um, individual orders as well as their monthly subscription. Exclusive for Ad Nauseam listeners. So That's check right. it out. Yep. Leading off second today in our sponsored lineup is Racial Coffee. Ladies and gentlemen, listen closely, please. Mark Helweg and his crack team in Portland, Oregon, have solved all of your aesthetic and brew-based problems. Jeff, you got some brew-based problems? I did, but no longer. Because? Because I have now have the Ratio 6. Ah, and where does it sit? It sits, it has it pride of place in the kitchen, uh, next to the sink. It's the first thing I go for in the morning. I hit the button, and I know delicious brew is on the way. Now, did you get the, the stainless steel, the matte, or the white? It is uh, matte. Matte, so it's a nice glossy black kind of, oh, not glossy, but... Matt, as the name implies. <laughs> That's right, yeah. It makes everything else in my kitchen look like junk, yeah. to tell the truth. It's a beautiful machine. So Mrs. Winkle, I understand, is mm-hmm. especially fond of the bloom stage. Of the bloom stage, right? So that's, she's convinced that's the secret to the whole thing. Okay. It's, yeah, that's the first stage that the, the machine goes through. It dispels all the nasty CO2. Mm-hmm. And then what's left is just uh, amazing coffee down through the, the, the Fibonacci shower head, yeah. down through the beans, through into the carafe. It's a, it's a thing of wonder. Yeah, I have the ratio eight. Mine is in an oyster with walnut accent. Ooh, it's gorgeous. Man, it's like it, a Mercedes. It, yeah, it's really, really nice yeah. as it sits there on my countertop. The response that our ad nauseum listeners have made to this racial coffee, this is amazing. It's phenomenal. It, it's so gratifying to know that you all are uh, actually listening to the ads and you're liking the product. So Mark is thrilled at how many of these machines are going out there. There's lots of countertops out there now with the, with the ratio six on Exactly. Yeah. And they're enjoying beautiful coffee. They're living the ad nauseum life. <laughs> That's right. Taking, <laughs> taking in the classics, reading some books, drinking some coffee. And keeping it down. Exactly. you got to keep it down. That's so right. how can our listeners... Uh, get themselves a ratio six. So if you haven't gotten one of these things yet, uh, listeners, go to ratiocoffee.com, R-A-T-I-O coffee.com. Um, and in the coupon code box, you type in A-N-C-O and you get 15% off uh, the ratio six. That's incredible. Yep. Do it now. And last but not least, this episode is also brought to you by Hackett Publishing. Hackett Publishing, a company that's based in Indianapolis, Indiana, and also Cambridge, I believe. I yes, that's right. One. Yeah. They're batting cleanup today, right? Batting cleanup today, putting out quality, affordable, attractive editions, translations of classical works uh, for the last 40 years, and hopefully at least 40 more. I hope so. And such generous support to this podcast. They were, uh, I think, our first advertiser, right? They were. First sponsor came on and said, yeah, we want to support the classics, just like we've always been doing. They were on board right away. Yes. Yep. It was really, really thrilling. And uh, they offer a fantastic lineup of wonderful translations. You've got your Stanley Lombardo, who's translated the Iliad, the Odyssey, and also the Aeneid. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got the new Len Krizak translation of the Aeneid coming out. But it's not just classics, is it, Jeff? No, it's everything that if you're interested in the humanities, you're going to find something uh, that you like there. There's Asian literature. There's language instruction. I believe there's a edition of Latin instruction that you like. Yes, right? the Lingua Latina Per Se Illustrata by yep. Hans Orberg. They now own the rights to all of that. They produce really high quality, attractive volumes of that set. 
Now, how can our listeners benefit from? Well, they need to go to hackitpublishing.com. Did I let you get to the end of the sentence? No, you were so excited. I let let you run with it. It's good. H-A-C-K-E-T-T publishing.com and enter this coupon code AN2021 in the box, which asks for the coupon code AN2021. And you're going to get 20% off plus free shipping. This is a really generous offer. I don't know any publisher that gives you 20% off and free shipping. You can't get that from Amazon. No, no. This is phenomenal. So check it out. All right, Dave, it's your turn. So take us back to, was it 1995? It was 95. So you loaded up the GeoPrism hatchback? (laughs) Not quite. No, what what did you drive off to? Well, if I can be a little bit pedantic here. Please. I graduated Calvin College. It was Calvin College at the time in 1994, but then I had another semester to finish up in the fall of 95. Okay. And I was taking all Greek and Latin courses. That that, that was just crammed chock full? I think I had one philosophy course because I also uh, majored in philosophy, but... I was late to the study of Greek and Latin. I came mm-hmm. late to the game. And that meant the last two years, it was just nonstop Greek and Latin, basically. And the very last course I took was in January of 95. Okay. And uh, this was with George Harris of uh, Beloved Memory, mm-hmm. Memoriae Beatae, a great man, a great scholar. And he, he said, um, uh, I want you to read three books of the Iliad for your final course here uh, at Calvin. I said, that's great. And he said, you're going to use the Alan Rogers Benner text, which has books one, nine, and 22, right? Which are the, uh, you know, the plot, the plot books. I said, okay, great. I'm going to do that. Now, um, the woman who is now my wife, Mrs. Noe, mm-hmm. uh, had graduated early and she had gone off to Mexico and uh, she was working as a, um, a mission worker in Ciudad Juarez on the, uh, the border across from El Paso, Texas. Right? Okay. Yeah. So we were just dating at the time, but this is the last class I needed to finish. And then I was going to be able to drive down to Mexico, right? Rent an apartment and be near her and just work while I waited to go to grad school in the following fall, which would have been the fall of 95. Gotcha. Now, did she know you were coming down? Oh yeah. This was all planned out. It was we, all planned we out. We were pretty serious. We, right. were, we were intending to go to graduate school together. And that's oh. in fact what happened. Uh, but I had this final course to take, and it was Homer's Iliad. Now, I, I could, as soon as I had finished the tasks, the project, then I was completely done with college, you mm-hmm. understand? So there wasn't really a date attached to it. It was just read these three books. So as a consequence, you know, of my, my love waiting for me in another country, and this being the end of my undergraduate career, I was highly motivated. Yes. So I read Homer for 10, 12 hours a day. I just sat there and brooded my way through it. You devoured it. I did. Yeah. Of course, I loved it too. It's not like it was hard, but it was the most significant intellectual discipline I had exercised. And it had to be a, up I mean, to that point. I'm probably adding to the kind of the difficulty or the oddity is that you know, the, the people of your class had already graduated the previous spring, right? That's right. So, so you were kind of like, you didn't, did you kind of feel like, oh, I don't really belong here anymore? Yeah, I had those feelings. Sure. Yeah, that's hard. For sure. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, Professor Harris, you know, he was so generous to me when I went and I would read for him, you know. Um, <clears throat> he was impressed, not because I was such a good student, but he didn't really know how, how motivated I was. So, <laughs> so he said, well, let's start out and, you know, I'm ready for this. I, I did this. I'm done. Let me go, right? I finished. I'm gone. Yeah, so. gotcha. Yeah. So that was that. And then um, kind of like you, I had to decide which graduate school to go to. Mm-hmm. And I got, um, I applied to five. Uh, I was accepted at three. Yes. I won't, I won't say which ones I didn't go to. But I only got financial support from one 
And that was the University of Iowa. So like like me with Northwestern, that kind of decided for you? It was an easy decision. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, I had some reservations at first. I thought, well, Iowa, you know, I want to study some other things. Maybe they don't have it. But it turned out to be a great fit. It did. Yeah. And the, not a grout fit, but the, <laughs> but a great fit. Yeah. The folks there were, you know, they were so generous and uh, helpful to me. And uh, it was great. Man. But the theme is... What did I hate about graduate What did you school? hate about it? Can we get to, should we start with number one? Yeah, let's start with number okay. one. So one of my first memories about graduate school is the sleeplessness mm-hmm. and the stress. Yeah. And the occasional cutthroatery. It was it, I mean, was it uh, like between graduate students? Or? Well, yeah, kind of. It was, it was a little bit between the younger ones and the older ones. I mean, I was so green. I yeah. was learning the ropes. I had no idea what I was going into. I expected there to be parfaits everywhere, right? <laughs> now, how many people in your cohort? There were three of us. Okay. Yeah, and one of them uh, is now a really good friend. And, um, Dr. Samuel Husky, oh yeah, uh, to whom I gave a shout. We gave a shout out many, many episodes ago. A, a great friend, and uh, he he should tell this story, probably because um, he'd tell it differently. But uh, there was a third individual, Rebecca. I can't remember her last name, um, who came in with our cohort. A, a wonderful woman. But uh, Sam and I were kind of pitted against each other uh, very, very early on. Uh, I think because the the professor sort of sensed. Um, you know, the, these guys, you know, they're, they're interested in the, in the same things, maybe a little competitive and you have all the just tremendous pressure of grad school. Mm-hmm. Am I, am I going to fall flat in my face? Uh, am I going to succeed, you know, sink or swim kind of thing? Yeah. So he and I were taking uh, a course together and we were the only two persons in the course, if I'm not mistaken. That's intimate. <laughs> and it was, uh, with professor Jonathan Goldstein, okay. uh, who um, is now deceased and uh, was just a uh, brilliant, brilliant Hellenist. And uh, he, his, one of his projects was, this was long before computers, of course, he went through the Demosthenic corpus, mm. right, all of Demosthenes, and he cataloged every particle. Oh, my gosh. And then he wrote an extensive entry on how Demosthenes uses particles. Man. But he was also, of course, you know, very, very learned in Herodotus. And so Dr. Goldstein and Sam and I sat in his office there and we translated Herodotus and uh, I was not very good at it. <laughs> Herodotus, that, that, that's difficult. That was, it was tough, yeah. right? And I, I learned later that only first year graduate students were kind of steered toward Professor Goldstein. So it was a little bit of a rite of passage, right? His job was, I think, to sort of take your measure as a, a philologist, a student of language. Yeah. His job was maybe to sort of toughen you up a little bit. Right. Um, a lot of people did not like him as much as I did. Okay. Right? So he had a little bit of a brusque exterior, um, but I learned so much from him. If you could get past that, you know, bristliness kind of, there was just so much to learn. He had kind of a, a, a chewy nougat center. <laughs> Huggable portions, <laughs> I would say. Yeah. I actually took a second class from him. I, I took a course on Livy, and uh, mm. I can still remember vividly the things that I learned from him. But uh, I will mention one instance where I was trying to, you know, translate something uh, idiomatically, and I was just failing. And he would say, no, 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 every word. As I was just trying to get to the, struggling to get to the end of this sentence. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, so I don't want to, you know, I don't want to make him look bad because I really uh, came to like him very much. So gruff but lovable? Absolutely. If you could get there, if you could. Uh, That's right. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. And of course it was from Goldstein that I learned how to translate the uh, Latin adverb nunc. Nunc. Which doesn't mean just now. It's not only temporal, it's inferential. It means as it is. As it is. Man. And I never forget that. Yeah. He taught me that and so much more. Yeah. Excellent. Now how about number two? 
Number two, uh, well, in addition to the sleeplessness, the stress, back to number one, I had to go to the doctor my first semester and get tested, and I was having all kinds of just terrible health problems. It turns out that sitting at a desk for 12 to 15 hours a day and reading, staying up late and waking up early is not good for the body. It's not? <laughs> no. Who knew? Drinking, you know, four to five pots of coffee, this is not healthy. Did you, now, did you like burn the midnight, midnight oil or you guys stay up all night oh, kind yeah. of guy? Yeah. Well, I had gotten to a routine. I could study to 2 a.m. and then I could sleep for five hours and get up at seven and start over. Okay. And being a younger man at the time, right, early 20s, I think it was 20. 23, 22, mm-hmm. um, I could pull that off, yeah. you know, for a long time and then it would catch up with you. Right. And I'd crash and I would sleep for 10 or 12 hours yeah. or something. No, you're not married yet at this point. No, okay. no. We were in grad school for a year and then got married. Uh, okay. So, uh, Tara was studying epidemiology sciences right? yeah. and I was in the humanities. So that was a good uh, contrast. Right. So we're leading, you know, pretty different schedules and lives and yeah. so forth. All right. So getting back to number two. Ah, uh, yes. Right. Sorry. So number two is uh, what I like to call sartorial disarray. What does that mean? It means that I didn't know what to wear. <laughs> I really didn't know how to conduct myself. So this is not so much what I hated about grad school as it is growing pains of um, becoming acclimated to the profession. Gotcha. There's a certain way you're supposed to behave, at least in the you know the mid-90s at the University of Iowa. There's a certain way you're supposed to behave if you want to become a professor yourself. Yeah. And um, I carried my books around in a pillowcase. A pillowcase? Why would you do this? Because I didn't have a proper backpack. <laughs> And the books that I was carrying, Greek lexicon, you know, Latin dictionary, Latin grammar, uh, my copy of Smythe, my Greek grammar, then I got primary text, then I have a box of pencils, then I have a highlighter, and no technology really at the time. How huge was your pillow? It was enormous. (laughs) I wasn't schlepping around a laptop or anything, but I had all of these miscellaneous and ill-sized items and no way to carry them, so I thought, you know, I thought it was a moment of brilliance, actually, and inspiration. I just hope Mishka doesn't turn this into an Instagram <laughs> image, but I shoved all this stuff in my pillowcase and off I went. It worked great. You slung it over your shoulder. That's right. Right. And nobody gave you a hard time about this. I don't remember. If they did, I didn't care because when I got into the classroom and I opened up the yawning maw of my pillowcase and retrieved from its, you know, linty depths, the, uh, the books I needed, I was intent. Yeah. Herodotus, you know, uh, rapid readings in Latin, Plautus, Terence. I was ready to go. Yeah. And, you know, I was I was learning how to, you know, bring the heat philologically. Who right. cares about a pillowcase? Five minutes of wasted class time. I'll know he's rustling around in the suitcase. <laughs> I can never find anything in here. Right. <laughs> That's probably what happened. But then eventually Mrs. Noe stepped in and with her typical wisdom said, you know, if, if you're going to be a professor, you really got you really got to look the part a little more. Yeah. You, you need to get something. So my grandmother gave me her old Samsonite uh Briefcase. Briefcase, it's yes. It's a black hard shell with the tiny little keys that you can lock it with, you know, on top. Yeah. And uh, it worked great. So you leapfrogged the backpack and went, went right to the briefcase. Absolutely. Wow, circa, circa 1950, I still have that briefcase. Oh, man. And uh, so then, you know, I looked like I was either a grad school or maybe um, a CIA agent <laughs> skulking around campus. Uh, the sartorial disarray carried into other settings as well. How so? Well, in the fall of 95, one of the first uh, courses that I taught was intro Latin. Now, remember, I had studied three or four semesters of Latin total by this point. Yeah. Because I was that late bloomer in terms of getting into Greek and Latin. Mm-hmm. So I went into the classroom to teach undergrads as a TA, you know, at a, a an R1 Big Ten school with only... 18 months more Latin than the students I was teaching. Oh, that's crazy. So the pressures were intense oh, yeah. in terms of learning. And I was just a few chapters ahead. But um, 
as intense as it was, you know, it really focuses the mind. So I, I, I learned rapidly because I had to. And I'll never forget, I'm standing in front of class one day and I'm wearing, I think I can maybe even remember the name of the student. It's a pretty um, generic name. I think his name may have been James Watson. Okay. There's no chance he's listening. But James, if you're listening, <laughs> thank you for this comment that you made. I was wearing uh, an old Calvin College sweatshirt that had got paint on it somehow. You were teaching in this? Yes. <laughs> Because I had been painting some odd job. Remember, we were church mice, right? Right. And I think James Watson said, um, he said, oh, uh, Noe, I guess it's laundry day, huh? <laughs> and oh, I felt cut to the quick. Yeah. And from then on, I decided, you know, if I'm going to be in this spot, I need to dress the part a little bit more. So you got you got some, a wardrobe to match the briefcase. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I got the leather jacket with the tweed, you know, the tweed patches on the elbows. No, I, I didn't go that far. Okay. But, but I did come to learn that this is not just about mastering Greek and Latin, which was my goal. I right. mean, it was a self-conscious goal. Yeah. I'm here because I really want to master these languages, if possible. It's going to take a long time. But then I also started to learn, this is not just mastering the material. You're being inducted into the guild. Right. And uh, mm-hmm. that was a lot of the, the friction. I mean, it was similar to the stories you told, right? The, just the expectations of getting inducted into the guild. Yeah. And a lot of it just kind of being um, thrown into it without a lot of guidance. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's you, you, learn, by, you learn by doing. Yeah, it's a you trial s- by fire. You suffer into truth, right? How about number three? Well, number three, I would like to uh, describe as majoring in the minors. Okay. Majoring in the minors. And honestly... Uh, these are not criticisms directed at my own professors, um, many of whom have served me faithfully and well uh, their entire career. You know, uh, Karen Green, one of my advisors, uh, she passed away a few years ago. A lovely woman taught me just so much about being a professor and uh, about being a scholar. John Finnemore, my dissertation advisor, Rob Ketterer, Mary DePew, Jack Holtz, Mark Goldstein, I've already mentioned, on and on. So these folks uh, were not like the criticism I'm going to level here at much of the discipline, mm-hmm. which, which is majoring in the minors, right? If you, if you look at some of the literature on classics, it is uh, the kind of thing that can descend to minutiae, yes, right? Pedantius. Yes. So I like to t- talk about my made-up character, Phrynichus of Pamphylonia. <laughs> I don't know if this is a real person or not, but Phrynichus, right, wrote a treatise on plow length. I don't even know if that's true. I think Phrynichus of Pamphylonia is a true character that I stumbled upon at some point. But yeah, uh, he wrote a treatise, you know, on the proper length of the plow you're supposed to use at various seasons. I'm making this stuff up. Right, right. right. Somewhere, someone has written a dissertation on this. Now, it's not that these things are not important, but I didn't go into classics only to talk about minutiae. Right. I wanted to be captivated, you know, my, my imagination my moral sense by things of lasting importance, right? Yeah. Where are the, um, you know, where are the, the articles and the essays on things like Homer's moral vision, mm, right? Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, Virgil as a way, Virgil's Aeneid as a way to view death. I mean, those things are out there, but any kind of um, discipline is going to tend to descend to minutiae. Right. And classics certainly does this. Now, a book came out at the time, too, and you probably know the book I'm talking about, early 90s, a book that named names. Are you talking about Who Killed Homer? I am talking about Who Killed Homer. Yes. Yeah, by uh, Heath and Hansen. Heath and Hansen, yeah. And um, I know that book got 
really badly panned by classicists in part because it named names yeah. and I'm, I'm not interested in endorsing everything in it, but one really salient point the book makes, which is a, a lesson I learned pretty early, I think was go into any major university library and go to the PA section, which is where the books are that we love yep. and find any book that has been uh, published in the last 10 years on the subject of classics. The chances that it has been checked out more than twice are vanishingly low. Mm-hmm. And this is true. Now, you know, you can say, well, that's because it was an ignorant, uneducated audience. It doesn't care about the things they should. I think the more likely explanation is when you write something that's academic, you're not necessarily writing with the audience in mind. Right. And honestly, that is one of the things that annoyed me about uh, graduate school. No, I hear you. A yeah. lot. Sure. Not, not in my department, you know. Mm-hmm. They, they weren't like that. But the rest of the field, it's just left such a bad taste in my mouth. Right. So, so like the short answer to that question, who killed Homer for the, for Heath and Hanson is classicists killed Homer. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Because they tend not to see any reason to try to present their work to others. And, uh, it's sad. Yeah. I met a guy who was working on his dissertation and he was, uh, measuring fish ponds in uh, Roman fish ponds right. throughout Italy. And so I, was tra- I remember talking to him, like, well, you know, what, what are you doing with that? Are you trying to say Right. That. Like, mm, I'm just measuring fish pots. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think that's important. Well, right. It, I, I want there to be someone who does that and loves that and knows that. Yeah. It's just that I don't think that's all there is to classics. Sure. 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 At, at some point you have to, I, I think we have to turn to a broader audience mm-hmm. and say, this is important because. Right. And I'm not talking about pragmatics, but just it's important because it's a part of the human story. Exactly. Somebody should do a podcast <laughs> geared towards that kind it's of It's starting to sound a little bit self-serving, yeah. <laughs> but I, I think it's just kind of natural because these are the things that shaped us to want to do mm-hmm. the things we're doing now. Right. Exactly. Yep. How about number four? Number four, uh, very minor, poorly bound books. Oh, really? This is an annoyance of yours? Oh, of course. Yeah. Poorly bound books. Uh, when I got to graduate school, you know, you're introduced to the Oxford Classical Text series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These beautiful blue covers, right? And they've got... The nice uh, light lime dust jackets, I think. And uh, these were some of the first undoctored sort of pure texts I had seen. So they don't have a vocab down below. They don't have a dictionary in the back. They're not giving you answers for how to translate. This is as close to my mind as you can get to interacting directly with the author. Right? Mm-hmm. So I think if it's a book like this, there's nothing on the page but Latin. This is going to be really good. But um, I guess Oxford will never be one of our sponsors, <laughs> if, if you're listening. Uh, because at some point in the early to mid-90s, you know, they started uh, printing these books very poorly. Mm. You know the spray adhesive? You know what that is? Oh, right? yeah. If you want to attach something you know, to the wall of your garage or something, you just take out a can of it and you shake it up. And there's yep. a little rat's tooth inside there yes, that in- rattles around. Indeed, yeah. You spray it on the wall and you slap a poster up there, right? Right. Your poster of REM or whatever it is you're listening to. <laughs> yeah. These days, I'm pretty sure that some of those books uh, put out by Oxford, you know, were assembled using that spray adhesive. Very cheap. Because you buy this $120 book and then you carry it around in your pillowcase for a few weeks. (laughs) Maybe the fault lies with me. (laughs) And it's falling apart. It's falling apart. So you ran into that a lot. I did. I did. Yeah. That's disappointing. It was disappointing, you bet. Number five? Number five was uh, the library was too expansive. What do you mean by that? Well, you and I went to school with a mutual friend. Uh, his first name was Don. His last initial was U. I remember Don. Yes, yep. right. Mm-hmm. Don was an amazing student. He, he was. He was kind of my uh, my model in some ways. I thought, wow, that that guy is so serious and gifted. Yeah. He went off to uh, the University of Notre Dame 
for his graduate studies. That's right. And uh, uh, he told me once that he had maxed out, he had maxed out the number of books that he could check out from the uh, university library uh, as a graduate student. Really? And you know that that number is something like 600. <laughs> I, I kid you not, this is an enormous number. Yeah. So in his apartment, you can't even move from room to room because it's it's floor to ceiling books. That sounds like Don. It does. Yeah. I, I admire that. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. Well, the University of Iowa Library has one of the best research libraries in the Midwest, not only for classics, but for Reformation studies. It's massive. Mm-hmm. I had never encountered anything like that before. And sometimes when I would wander into the library for, you know, um, Journal X or Volume Y, I'd come home with a huge heap of books in my pillowcase once again, <laughs> things that were intellectual distractions. And uh, so oh, I see. what I'm really trying to express is that you're in grad school to learn the content and learn the craft, to learn the guild. But I've always had a lot of restless curiosity. Sure. And so in some ways, being at a university is not a great place to be if you're trying to do something so specific. Yeah. Because the intellectual distractions are are manifold. Too many different paths you could wander yes. down. I got gotcha. you. For yeah. sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. One of the really interesting books I read uh, was The Myths of Rich and Poor. Uh, by Cox and Elm in 2000, it's like the spring of 2000, I believe. Okay. What should I have been doing instead of reading that interesting book? Talking about Phrenicus and his plows? Or That's something? right. Yeah. I should have been working on my dissertation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, I yeah. should have been working on my dissertation. But, you know, that's, that's how it goes. Right, um, right. I spent a year after I finished taking courses uh, ostensibly dissertating, right? But I, I didn't really think it through. So for a year, I read all the literature I could on Cicero and his philosophy because that was my topic, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Cicero and Plato, as I've said before, I think were my special authors in uh, Latin and Greek, respectively. But I didn't take any notes. No notes? No notes. So I read for a year. I probably read 30 or 40 books on Cicero or more in that time, plus articles and such. Because yeah. I was thinking first, well, learn the lay of the land, then come back and drill down and get the specifics that you're going to need for the actual dissertation. Yeah. Turns out that was not the right way to do it. <laughs> I got to the end of the year and I knew a lot of things, but I didn't know where any of them were. God, so man. then I had to go back and redo a lot of that stuff. Okay. Okay. And uh, yeah, these are the things, you know, graduate school's a learning curve. Um, it, in preparation for this, I asked Mrs. Noe, uh, what did I hate about graduate school? And she said, is this a trick question? <laughs> No, I'm trying to remember. What did I hate about grad school? She said, well, uh, you hated trying to find parking. Oh, yes, I did. Well, parking is a big problem in Iowa City? Well, on the the um, convenient streets, yes. <laughs> Every street is, you know, a, a beer tanker. On Friday afternoon, the beer tankers roll in and, uh, you know, refuel the bars. So yeah. parking was rare. She said, you also hated public transportation. Said, yes, that's that's me for sure. I don't like to ride in an empty bus by myself. <laughs> Uh, what else did I hate? Well, then it occurred to me that like many of these Midwestern towns, um, Iowa City had a certain vibe, right? Mm-hmm. I think I've told you this story before. And I, I remember so clearly finding the brochure put out by the Iowa Chamber of Commerce. Oh, yeah. The Iowa City Chamber of Commerce. This was an effort to draw tourists and residents to the city. And the way they were presenting themselves was um, educated. This, mm-hmm. These were the bullet points on the brochure. Iowa City, educated refined and the third one was sophisticated <laughs> this is one of my favorite stories i had to do a double sophisticated, sophisticated. tell me you saved that brochure i did not oh 
man. I have no proof. Oh, that's great. Sophisticated. Though. I don't who doubt was, it for a second. Who was the sophisticated individual <laughs> who forgot to put the H in this word? <laughs> that's where I want to move. Oh, that's great stuff. So great we, stuff. we decided at the beginning of the episode, right? That when we got to the end, yes. we were going to say that the thing we hated most about graduate school was when, when it, it was, was over. over. <laughs> Is that how you really feel, Jeff? No, not actually. No, all, no. <laughs> it was a nice sentimental ending, wasn't it? It was. I thought I'm, I'm hearing the violins behind that yeah. a little bit. Yeah. But like all good things, graduate school came to an end. It and, did. And likewise, this episode. That's right. All right. We got to get out of here. Indeed. Let's thank the usual suspects here. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Mishka. Mishka, our intrepid engineer. Puts this all together, makes it sound so good. We're real appreciative. Thanks to Ken Tamplin and Scott Vinzen for the great music you hear uh, throughout the podcast. And uh, Dave, you want to say something about the Moss Method before we get out of here? Yeah, I do. Uh, the summer sale has expired. You oh, missed it. Come you missed on. It. Really? But the Moss Method, you know, I'm going fully digital this fall. We announced that last time. Yes. Just in case someone hasn't heard it, right? I'm leaving brick and mortar academia. The... Ad Nauseam podcast is going to become a viewer experience. We are in the process of building a studio, getting the cameras. Uh, it's time to put on makeup. It's time to light the lights. It is. It's time to get things started. That's right. That's right. I'm excited about it. Um, you don't get the reference? What? It's a Muppet show. Is that what that was? I was, yeah, I, I missed that. I'm sorry. It's Jeff. late. It's late. It's late. Excuses, excuses. It's going to become a viewer experience. Yes. You're going to be able to watch us and our hijinks from the comfort of your living room, your kitchen, somewhere else. Yes. We're gearing up for that this fall. We've had uh, so much generous support. Uh, folks who have gone to the GoFundMe, which will be in the link, and uh, contributed to try to help us get this going, launch this. And uh, the Moss Method is an important part of this. You want to learn Greek, you want to go from neophyte to erudite, mm -hmm. you can do it through this method. It's expert, self-paced, and accessible. So you'll learn at your own pace, but I'm always there, always there helping you learn the ins and outs of classical Greek. Very cool. Very cool. So listeners, um, if, you, uh, if you would, uh, leave us a review, uh, a comment on your favorite platform that you should listen to the podcast on. If you want to contact us, uh, send a note to Dave at adnauseum.com. Don't forget the V. Or to me at Jeff at adnauseum.com. Check out the website for updates for the GoFundMe link and uh, link and everything else we're talking about here. And we've gotten some great feedback recently. You just got a, an amazing letter yesterday. I did, yes. Uh, what was the woman's first name? Uh, Suzanne. Suzanne, yes. right. We'll be replying to that, but... Um, Suzanne just sent a, a really encouraging, a, almost a glowing kind of report about how she's been listening to the podcast. She's getting back into the game. We'll probably give her a shout out at some point. Absolutely. And she's really into casseroles, <laughs> yeah. which, which makes me very, very happy. Yeah. yeah. So uh, do we know what's coming up next week? We don't. So it's TBD, right? It's TBD. We, we have a, a very exciting guest uh, uh, coming that we're trying to 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 settle on. No, we're Just, not going to reveal it We now. can't drop the name no. because this is huge. This is huge. This is very, very cool. And if this doesn't come through, we're going to feel tiny. Very <laughs> tiny. But I'm confident it's going to happen. We just don't know exactly when. Right. And so that means we don't really know what's going to be on the table next week. Right. And we have some other great guests that uh, you, you listeners are going to love. Some real nice surprises coming up. Indeed. Dave, you got our gustatory parting shot this week, right? I do. This is from uh, David Mamet. Hmm. I pronounced his name correctly, right? I believe you did. Yeah. And uh, I love this. He says, we must have a pie. Stress cannot exist in the presence of a pie. So true. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you.